Stories are more than the key to imagination. They are a portal to an infinite amount of realms of magic, mystery, and beauty. The magic that lies just under the words of books will carry you out of the realm that you humans have come to know as your only reality. A little do you know, there is so much more to your existence than what is being told to you. Now, follow my voice and find yourself enwrapped in the story, for you will now cross over into another world. The year was 1932, and the tales of the California dream were being weaved in news columns, radio shows, and novels all across the United States. Walter Bluehorn wanted to get in on a dream of his own. Walter had come from a renowned family who was said to descend from kings and gods of old. The Bluehorns were longtime members of a clandestine organization known as the Society of Stories, a society whose history stretched back for many centuries, a society that claimed to have witnessed the rise and fall of empires. Although this exclusive society operated with a cloak of darkness, it was highly prominent and had an extensive network of members all throughout the world. Like a planted seed, the family grew slowly over time, its roots digging its way into society, giving itself a sturdy foundation until it was finally ready to bloom and become a universally recognized name, just like it had been in ancient times. In the 19th century, the family established itself to the public eye by publishing literary annuals that had the works of famous authors, such as Mary Shelley, John Clare, and Lord Byron, among many others, of course. These books were intricately designed, and they were priced out of reach of the middle and lower class Americans. Selling for the equivalent of $100 per book, the Bluehorn family was able to amass quite a small fortune that allowed them to invest their earnings into oil, film, and mainstream publications. Making the decision to move west to join Americans in living out their dreams, Walter took everything he had and left the comfort of New York and moved to California. It didn't take long for Walter to strike a big out on the Golden Coast. Having stumbled upon a literal gold mine while looking for land for his next project, Walter industrialized the area by ordering the destruction of the forests to make way for his mining operation. Emboldened, he stripped the gold mine bare, and Walter's pockets continued to deepen. All the money already wasn't a concern for him, considering his family that he left behind on the East Coast was already extremely well off. After several attempts at finding suitable lodging for himself, Walter became vexed that the only hotels available were rat-infested mounds of moldy wood held together with plaster and a flimsy coat of paint. The only hotels worth staying in in the Golden State were limited to a handful of options in the major cities, such as Los Angeles and San Francisco. Though he had the means to easily afford these hotels, he had no desire to surround himself in cities that had already been claimed by socialites, Hollywood stars, and production companies. And plus, Walter had a motto. Why put money into the pockets of those who only wish to profit off of you when you could do it so much better? Advice he had learned from his father. 
Walter looked to settle in California to invest his money by breaking ground on a project that he had in mind. A project that would make all other hotels in California appear antiquated and forgotten relics of the past. He scoured the state, looking for a suitable place to call home. San Francisco was too expensive for what he would be getting, and there were already too many folks settling in the area. So, he moved further north, but it was too barren and hot. Walter returned to his map, diligently eyeing where his next home would be. That's it, he gleefully announced. This place here. He grabbed his quill and circled the spot on his map. The area he planned on building his home was known as New Almaden, a small settlement that was located at the southern tip of San Jose. New Almaden had been established due to the abundance of mercury that had been discovered within its mines, and it wasn't too far from the major cities to be an inconvenience. Traveling south from San Francisco, Walter arrived in New Almaden, and he was instantly taken back by the sheer primal beauty of the area. It was truly a valley, in every sense of the word, with its precipitous green mountains surrounding the settlement, like a comforting hug from Gaia herself. There weren't many people who had settled here yet, and all those who occupied the area were dirt poor compared to him, primarily working the mines for pitiful wages. Ensuring that he had a great distance between himself and the main settlement of Almaden, Walter zoned where he would start construction of his manor. The location he had decided on was one of the highest mountaintops that encircled the Almaden Valley, Mount Almaden. The manor was to be 13 stories, overlooking the valley in all its lush, vegetative glory. His goal with this grandiose project? To create a resort, a getaway, for those traveling to California. It would be a place for those who were able to afford to stay there, to be able to view his collection of artifacts, enjoy the top-of-the-line amenities, and take in the sights. Mount Almanum was close enough to the rich lakes of the valley for those who wished to take a boat out during the summers, and during the winters, it snowed on the mountaintop, offering an idyllic and serene location for skiing. Because he was able to pay so handsomely, those in need of work flocked to New Almaden to work on Mr. Bluehorn's project. The manor was made up of stucco wool, painted a rich brown color to better blend with the environment, with great arch windows that provided plenty of natural light to illuminate the interior of the tower, and at the top was a golden antenna with an even larger sphere at its tip that was encased in a golden triangle. This antenna was built in such a way that when the sunlight hit it just right, it caused all those in the valley to take notice and look up, giving it the appearance that the eye was some sort of second sun, although much smaller. Walter Bluehorn's project was officially completed by 1935, and the Bluehorn Tower, which he had so cleverly coined it, majestically watched over the valley in which it sat, waiting patiently for its first guests to arrive. And it did not have to wait long, for Walter had received letters from family, friends, actors and actresses, and politicians that they were en route to stay at his luxurious resort. Opening day was October 10th, 1935. Reporters had swarmed the property, taking photos of the manor from every angle imaginable. Much to Walter's surprise, his father, George, had made some phone calls to his friends at Warner Brothers, and they were able to send out Betty Davis, who had just signed an eight-year contract with the production company three years earlier. Miss Davis, alongside Walter himself, 
cut the ceremonial ribbon that day, officially welcoming the first guests through the Bluehorn Tower's heavy oak doors. In the subsequent weeks, the papers were filled with stories that touted the manor as a Hollywood-like resort in an oasis of natural beauty, the crowned eye of heaven. Walter Bluehorn was a talk of the entire country, and soon, all of the rooms in the manor were completely booked an entire year in advance. Every year for three years straight, a new amenity was added. In 1936, an expanded and fully functional spa was added to the bottom floor of the manor. In 1937, a five-star restaurant called Riviere Bleu was built on the 10th floor, which, instead of walls, had full-size windows that stretched from floor to ceiling in perfect view of the fabled sunset of the Albaden Valley. And, in 1938, a complete gym was added to be adjacent to the spa, with all the latest equipment one could desire. All these additions did not even make a dent in Walter's pockets. His profits easily took care of it, ten times over. But of course, what goes up must inevitably come down, and come down it did. In 1939, tragedy struck the Blue Horn Tower, a tragedy that found its way on all those same papers that once heralded the manor as being a physical representation of the California dream. On November 3rd, 1939, a woman who went by the name Rose Jameson, an heiress to an oil tycoon out in Texas, was staying at the manor. She had exited the elevator and stumbled into the lobby in a state of hysteria, screaming, The, the elevator! It just took me somewhere else. Somewhere under the manor. It was dark. It was a cave. And there were cloaked men down there. Oh, God. They were being pulled into books of some kind. Like there were doors or something. Miss Jameson had caused quite a scene down in the lobby on that fateful night. Some guests disregarded her as having had too much to drink, while others stopped to listen a little more closely. Manor staff were quick to descend on the woman, who had since started throwing anything and everything that wasn't bolted down to the floor in an attempt to get people's attention. From his suite on the 13th floor, Walter was alerted to the commotion in the lobby. Bring her up to my room, he said, into the phone before hanging it up with a gentle click. He poured himself a glass of fine wine, ordered from the Napa Valley up north, and carefully nursed a drink while overlooking the valley, which was cast in the fading light of the sun. The clouds above were a purple and pink hue, like an angel had used the sky as his own personal canvas. Downstairs, Rose was continuing her hysterics. I will not go back into that elevator. You can't make me. Do you know who my dad is? But she was reassured that she must have been mistaken, for the elevator did not go any lower than the main lobby. Such a feat would have been impossible. Joined by a bellhop, Rose reluctantly re-entered the elevator and watched as the man attempted to make the elevator drop below the main lobby, which he failed to do. I, I know for a fact what I saw, Rose cried out, her voice unpleasantly echoing in the small elevator. I'm not crazy. Didn't say you were, ma'am, said Ted, one of the bellhops. But Mr. Bluehorn thinks that maybe the elevator somehow malfunctioned and descended into the servants' quarters or into the furnace area. He feels horrible about frightening you and wants to have dinner with you in his suite. 
This seemed to calm Rose down. The idea of having dinner with a man who made her father look like a commoner on the side of the road begging for spare change was more than appealing. She looked in the large mirror along the elevator car's wall and tidied herself up. The elevator made a dinging sound once it hit the 13th floor. The doors grated open, revealing a long hallway with an immaculate red rug leading to a heavy set of golden doors. All along the hall were paintings. One was of a map of a place called Avalis. Rose did not know where that was, but that did not surprise her, since she was never good at geography anyway. Another appeared to be of Adam, Eve, and the serpent under the forbidden tree. That she had learned from Sunday school as a little girl. Then, the third was of a field of flowers with a single blue rose in the middle of a sea of red roses. Ted knocked on the golden doors and said, You're lucky. Mr. Bluehorn doesn't normally do this just for anybody. Well, I'm not just anyone, Rose thought to herself. But she remained silent, for words couldn't describe the feelings of elation that she was experiencing. She ran her hands down her dress, made sure her hair was in place, and took in a deep, slow breath. The door swung open, and on the other side was Walter Bluehorn. He wore a fitted dark green suit jacket over black trousers. His eyes were piercing blue, almost ethereal with how light they were. His eyes had a quality of wisdom to them, a window into eternity. Although he was young for all he had accomplished, his eyes somehow told a different story, almost like he had seen everything the world had to offer. Miss Jameson, he announced. Come on in. Thank you for bringing her up, Ted. You may go now. The interior of Walter's suite was more beautiful than she had imagined. Just like the Riviere Bleu restaurant on the 10th floor, he too had windows that stretched from the floor all the way to the ceiling. The room was briskly warm, comfortable, thanks to an ornate fireplace that was made of carved wood that depicted serpents intertwining around various fruits and flowers. In the far corner was a black grand piano, and on the wall adjacent to the fireplace were numerous bookcases that overflowed with dusty leather-bound books. Then. Between the brown leather couch that faced the fireplace and the large open windows was a dining table with two places set to eat. For the first time in her life, Rose felt like she did not belong in such a room. It was like dining in God's belly, reserved for only the most divine of angels. My, my, you look absolutely stunning, Miss Jameson, Walter remarked while handing her a glass of wine. He laughed. <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't assume that you drink. Is the wine okay for you, or shall I get you something else? Rose coquettishly batted her eyelashes. It's just perfect for me, Mr. Bluehorn, sir. I heard of the elevator possibly malfunctioning. I'm not sure what happened, but rest assured, I will get to the bottom of this. A beautiful creature such as yourself should never feel so scared and vulnerable while on my property. Walter knew that his smile was able to make women swoon, and he used this to his advantage. Oh yes, she started. Rose had intended on telling Walter that perhaps she had been mistaken, but she knew that was a lie. Now that she was face to face with a man, she needed to be honest with what she saw. She may have not been the most academically inclined student at her high school, but she knew darn well when she was dreaming and when she was awake. 
and what she saw was certainly no dream. Rose explained to Walter what she had seen when the elevator mysteriously went below the main lobby of the manor, and he appeared to be listening intently, as if nothing else in the world mattered to him at that moment. But, like she expected, Walter brushed it off to a possible malfunction of the elevator, and that perhaps it had somehow gone into the basement area where the furnace was located. Not wanting to get thrown out by pushing the issue, Rose acquiesced and changed the subject. Walter and she discussed various topics, such as what his plans were for the future of Bluehorn Tower, how he was ordering more of his artifacts from the East Coast to be shipped back to California so he could put them on display in the Bluehorn Tower, and how he hoped to expand even further by adding more amenities to the already five-star resort. There had been a moment where Walter placed his hand over Rose's, gently rubbing the top of her hand with his fingers as he whispered honeyed words, reflecting on her beauty. Rose was truly at a loss for words. Was this really happening? Was Mr. Walter Bluehorn falling in love with her? She imagined her dad's face when she brought Walter back to Texas to meet him. The faces of their unborn children flashed before her eyes like a motion picture, and she fantasized about all the fanciful places they would travel together as husband and wife. Before she knew it, Walter stood and announced that he was going to retire for the evening. The sun had set long ago, and the moon hung high in the night sky, blessing the Almaden Valley below with its light, making the valley appear like a spool of silver ribbon. It was truly a pleasure, Miss Jameson, Walter said as he opened the door to his suite. Offering his arm to her, she took it, and together they walked towards the elevator down the hall. You'll have to come back up and have dinner with me once more before you leave. Rose opened her mouth to respond, but Walter continued. Now, now, I won't take no for an answer. I just have to see you again. Do you promise? He smiled, that damn smile of his. Y yes of course, Mr. Bluehorn. Of course I'll have dinner with you again. Very well. Walter leaned in and kissed Rose on her cheek. He pushed the button to call for the elevator, and the doors opened instantly. I'll see you next time, then. You certainly will. Good night, Mr. Bluehorn. Please, call me Walter. Rose let out an airy laugh. <laughs> okay, Walter. And with that, the elevator doors began to groan shut. Her feelings of exhilaration, though, had been quickly melted away when she witnessed Walter's handsome smile be replaced with the most foul of frowns and coldest of stairs, just before the elevator doors completely shut. The lights in the elevator violently flickered, and the car shuddered apprehensively. Suddenly, the awful sound of electrical components firing off filled the silent void. Rose backed into a corner and held out her arms, grabbing onto the walls of the elevator, fearing that she may be stuck. She said, Hello? to anyone that could hear her. Mr. Bluehorn, Walter, I think I'm stuck. Are you still there? Nothing. After a few seconds of silence, the elevator lights completely shut off, causing Miss Jameson to scream. Can anybody hear me? I'm stuck in this damn elevator. But no one would come to help poor Rose, for her pleas did not reach listening ears. 
It was like God himself had struck the elevator car with lightning with how viciously it began to shake. The lights of the elevator car turned back on, but instead of their normal yellow hue, it was an ominous green color. As if the cords holding the car in place had been cut, the elevator began to descend so rapidly that Rose's feet left the floor as she was shoved into the upper corner of the car. Surely, her screams would have been heard at any of the floors between the 12th and the 1st, but no one gave any inclination that they heard Miss Jameson in the slightest. The elevator descended all 13 floors of the manor, falling far beneath the main lobby and into the depths of the earth. Just as suddenly as it fell, the elevator came to an abrupt halt, and Rose came crashing back down to the floor with a heavy thud. The sounds of bolts and metal creaking and clinking filled the silence. Quickly, Rose staggered to her feet and began to pound on the elevator doors. Surely, someone would have to hear her now. How could they not? Much to her surprise, the elevator doors opened normally, as if nothing had ever happened. But when they opened, she began to scream all over again. Lying straight ahead was the same cave of darkness that she was met with earlier, except this time, the cloaked figures she had stumbled upon earlier were waiting for her. Miss Jameson never did reemerge from the elevator. In fact, her father, Henrik Jameson, showed up in person to the Bluehorn Tower when he had been told that there had been no record of his daughter staying at the property. He had lost it when the police actually tried to convince him that perhaps she ran away because he was an overbearing and emotionally abusive father. No matter how much of his money Mr. Henrik Jameson threw at the problem, he was never able to uncover what exactly happened to his daughter, though he did receive a tip from an anonymous guest who had happened to be staying at the manor at the time of the incident. This person explained in the letter that they had witnessed Rose having a breakdown in the main lobby regarding something she had seen, and that they had last seen her when she got back into the elevator with manor staff. Even with this information, though, Henry could not find anyone to take his case. He continued to pursue the Blue Horn estate, that is, until he received a visit from a group of well-dressed men in pristine suits. Henrik never did speak of his daughter after that. The case of Rose Jamison wasn't unique, however. Shortly after that, a handful of other people began to disappear off the Blue Horn Tower premises, almost like they had vanished into thin air. Eventually, this bad publicity made its way into the public eye, and Walter Bluehorn begrudgingly shut down the manor and sold the property to the United States government, who demolished the five-star resort and replaced it with a radio tower that operated throughout World War II. Interestingly, the radio tower, although defunct now, still sits atop Mount Omenum, forever watching the Omenum Valley. If one were to try to Google information regarding the Bluehorn Tower, they would be surely disappointed. After the property was repurposed by the government, all traces of the manor were wiped from existence. Even those who may have been alive at the time do not recall the infamous Bluehorn Tower. The only remnants that can prove the existence of the tower that stood the test of time are the underground tunnels that intriguingly burrow down from Mount Omenum and under many of the homes throughout Almaden. Curiously, if you look hard enough, or perhaps if you're just lucky, you'll come across those who have a moment of clarity 
and remember the Blue Horn Tower that used to hauntingly loom over the Elmadan Valley. Those who did briefly remember have said that they believed the government had not used the radio tower and built in the Manus Place for the war, but rather it was used on the townspeople of the valley to make them forget that the Blue Horn Tower ever existed. I wouldn't go snooping around too much, though, or you may meet the same fate as our dear Rose and all those who got a little too close to the truth. Ah, the Blue Horn Tower. I could still hear the records of Sidney Beckett, smell the cigars of some of the most powerful gentlemen in the world, and taste the delicious food that was always a simple phone call away. It all seems like it was just yesterday, doesn't it? Subscribe and hit the bell below to hear more of our stories that we have curated for you. See you next time.